Welcome to the Arlington Street Church podcast. Founded in 1729, Arlington Street continues today as a gathering place for progressive people of faith in the greater Boston area and beyond. We are located at the corner of Arlington and Boylston Streets, across from the Public Garden in Boston, Massachusetts. Please visit ASCBoston.org for more information about this historic Unitarian Universalist congregation. Arlington Street Church, gathered in love and service for justice and peace. I'm at a protest gathered with hundreds of my neighbors concerned about climate change. Speakers are giving testimonials about the ways that climate change is already affecting us and about our opposition to a gas pipeline being built. A sense of fear and despair grabs at me and disaster seems imminent. It's then that somebody takes up a chant and we sing. The people gonna rise like the water. We're gonna face this crisis now. I hear the voice of my great granddaughter saying, keep it in the ground. The people gonna rise like the water saying climate justice now. I hear the voice of my great granddaughter saying, stop this pipe pipeline now. I hear the voice of my great-granddaughter. In any area of our lives, our justice work, our communities, our spiritual communities, we can turn into the voices of those who will come after us. With this call from the future, we are invited to snap out of our despair and turn our attention to what is ours to do. Jonas Salk, the scientist who discovered a vaccine for polio, asks the question this way, are we being good ancestors? We exist, our families exist, our church exists, The advances toward justice that have already been made exist because of the dedication and contributions of our ancestors. How can we honor their legacies? And what is the legacy that we will leave? If legacy is, as Hamilton playwright Lin-Manuel Miranda says, planting seeds in a garden that we never get to see, then I share this quintessential Jewish story about leaving a legacy. This is a nearly 2,000-year-old tale from the Talmud, and it's about a rabbi named Choni. Rabbi Choni lived in a small village with his family. He was a good person, and the people of the village looked up to him for his wisdom and his counsel. But one spring day, Rabbi Choni woke up tired of listening to people's troubles. He packed some bread and cheese, kissed his family goodbye, and set out for a walk in the sunshine. After some hours, Rabbi Choni came upon an old, old woman by the side of the road. 
The woman was hard at work digging in the fresh spring earth, and her wizened face was streaked with dirt and sweat. My dear friend, said the rabbi, why are you working so hard? The old woman smiled. I am planting a carob tree. Rabbi Choni looked quizzical and said, how long will it take for this tree to bear fruit? Seventy years, the old woman replied. Skeptical, Choni asked, are you sure that you're going to live for another 70 years? The old woman shook her head and smiled. Oh, I doubt it. But I found already grown carob trees in this world. As my ancestors planted those for me, so too do I plant these for my children. And I enjoy the fruits of their happiness every day. Rabbi Choni understood, and he thanked the woman for her hard work, and he continued on his way, thinking of his family and his people, enjoying the blooming spring flowers, he walked for quite a long time until all at once he was exhausted. He sat down beneath a palm tree, ate some of the bread and cheese that he'd packed, and fell fast asleep. When the rabbi woke, the sun was high in the sky, and the day was just as beautiful as the day before. But the rabbi realized that he had slept through the night, and his family would be worried. and He'd have to hurry home. But when he tried to stand up, his limbs felt weak. And despite his long, deep sleep, he felt bent and tired. He began to follow the path back toward his village. But before long, he came to the spot where he was certain the sapling had stood. But now there stood a carob tree. Thick and tall with hundreds of pods hanging from its sturdy limbs and a young child stood beneath the tree picking fruits. Good day, the rabbi said. Can you tell me please who planted this magnificent tree? The child grinned. My great-grandmother planted this tree. She planted it the day before she died. And while I never met her, whenever I come here, I remember the gifts that she left behind, and I remind, I'm reminded of her love. Impossible, the rabbi whispered. But when he reached to rub his chin, he felt not the usual thick, short stubble of beard, but a long white one falling almost to the ground. He felt bewildered and hurried home as quickly as his body would take him. At long last, and with great relief, the rabbi reached the village. He walked past many people, but to his horror, he didn't recognize a single one. He hurried to his family's home, and when he recognized it, he was flooded with relief. He walked through the door, but when he stepped inside, his mind reeled and tears came to his eyes because in the corner sat a woman and a baby that he had never seen before. Who are you? He asked without thinking. I should ask you the same, the woman said. Do you not know me? I'm Rabbi Choni, he said. My wife and son lived here. Now it was the woman's turn to stare in wonder. Rabbi Choni's son was my father, but the rabbi died nearly 70 years ago. 
he got lost and we always thought he was eaten by wild animals. My baby is named after him. And the old man was welcomed home, amazed by the world. To be good ancestors, we plant seeds in a garden that we never get to see. We take the next action that is ours to take, to pay forward the gifts that were given to us, to leave the world a better place than we found it. This is a value that's found throughout many Native American and indigenous traditions. The seventh generation principle teaches that in our every deliberation, we must consider the impact of our decisions on the next seven generations. The constitution of the Iroquois nation, which may have been crafted as early as the 12th century and later helped to shape the US Constitution, instructs its nation's leaders to hold future generations in mind, saying, look and listen for the welfare of the whole people and have always in view not only the present, but also the coming generations, even those faces who are yet beneath the surface of the ground, the unborn future of the nation. Historian and curator Rick Hill Sr., who's a Tuscarora, Tuscarora of the Beaver Clan, part of that Iroquois nation, describes his understanding of being good ancestors this way. If you ask me what the most important thing I've learned about being a Haudenosaunee, he says, using the term that the nation uses for itself, it's the idea that we are connected to a community but a community that transcends time. He continues, we're connected to the first Indians who walked this earth, the very first ones, however long ago that was. But we're also connected to those Indians who aren't even born yet. And our job in the middle is to bridge that gap. You take the inheritance from the past, you add to it, your ideas and your thinking, and you bundle it up and shoot it out into the future. And there's a different kind of responsibility that is not just about me, my pride, and my ego. It's about all that other stuff. We inherit a duty. We inherit a responsibility. And that's pretty well drummed into our heads. Don't just come here expecting to benefit. You come here, Hill concludes to work hard so that the future can enjoy that benefit. To be good ancestors, we form a bridge between all who came before and all those who will come after. We commit ourselves to leaving the world a better place than we found it. The incredible author and black feminist, Adrienne Marie Brown, describes it this way. Let us measure success by how many of us can feel and say, I am living a life I don't regret, a life that resonates with my ancestors and with as many generations forward as I can imagine. I am attending to the crises of my time with my best self. 
I am of communities that are doing our collective best to honor our ancestors and all humans to come. So, how? I invite us together into a meditative exercise that helps illuminate just what is ours to do. This is adapted from the great environmental activist, Joanna Macy. I invite you to get comfortable in your seat and as you feel comfortable to close your eyes or lower your gaze. By the power of our imagination, let's move forward through time, 100 years. We can even make the sound of time passing swiftly. Now we've arrived at March 17th, 2119. So let's take a deep breath. See yourself having come back into the world, sitting in a circle with your great, great grandchildren on an open field of lush green grass. The morning air is fresh, the sky overhead a bright blue. Close by, you hear a melodious stream gurgling through the cool green forest. Don't worry about figuring out how the world has changed. Just know that the major crises that threatened life on Earth have been averted, the weapons have been dismantled, and the technologies and institutions that polluted and decimated life have been dismantled. As you sit, you see approaching you a child of about eight or nine. She's eager and timid, for she has heard in songs and stories what you and your friends did back then to save the world from disaster. You listen to the questions that she wants to ask you. The first is this. Is it true what they say about life back then? Were there really millions and millions of sick and hungry people and bombs that could blow up whole cities? Could that be true? She clearly finds it hard to believe. Listen now as you answer her. Go ahead, in your mind, what do you say to her? Now she asks you a second question. What was it like for you to live in a world like that? Weren't you sad and scared all the time? Hear your own response right now. What do you say to her? The child listens carefully, and there's one more thing that she wants to ask. Where did you and your friends find the strength to do what you had to do? How did you keep on going? Hear within yourself how you answer her now. Go ahead. 
the child is ready now to go back to her friends. As she starts to run off, she turns back, looks up at you, and says, thank you. You watch her go. And now it is time to return to 2019. We go back now to that period when there was still so much to be done, though the great turning had already begun and may have been further along than we thought. So let's make the sounds of time flowing backwards. Until here we are again, back in 2019. You can open your eyes and join me back in this time and place. I invite you now to turn to your neighbor and share briefly what you saw in that meditation. What did you say to your great-great-granddaughter? How did you find the strength and perseverance? Take about two minutes each, and I'll let you know when it's time to switch. Go ahead, introduce yourself, turn to your neighbor. And if you'd like to switch to give the other person a chance to share, now's a good time. Friends, let's come back together and wrap up your sentences. And I hope you'll continue these conversations, perhaps over lunch and in the days ahead. Here and now, this is my wish for us. Let us measure success by how many of us feel and can say, I am living a life I don't regret a life that will resonate with my ancestors and with as many generations forward as I can imagine. I am attending to the crises of my time with my best self. I am of communities that are doing our collective best to honor our ancestors and all humans to come. So may it be. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. We would love to hear from you via email at office at ASCBoston.org or through our Facebook page. If you would like to support the good work of Arlington Street Church, please consider a contribution by checking the mail or through our website, ASCBoston.org.